We can call you Shoe. All right, Pastor Shoe. I got shoes. You got shoes. All got children. I got shoes. Well, it's uh, it's great to be here with you all, and I, it's also great for me. Am I good, Doug? Like this? Yes. All right. Good. So I'm going to stop and I'm going to reset and start, or else I'll be preaching all day. Um, it has been a great time um, to be here with you all at Grace. I've been here, I guess, a year and four months now. And uh, thank you. And the plan was always for uh, me to raise up, uh, change the level of worship, or try to help discover what was the, the worship goal at Grace and to find someone else to do that. And I've done this three other times in churches around the country, uh, Washington, D.C., um, Raleigh-Durham, Nashville, Tennessee. And, and I can truly say, I'm not just saying this because Norflet's here, this is the, the most comfortable I've ever felt leaving a department, um, primarily because of his heart. And you're going to hear some of that later, but his heart as a true worship pastor uh, as opposed to, to me, I'm a, I'm a teacher. Uh, some of you know I run this, this organization called Elevate New York, and we work in the public schools there, and it's, it's phenomenal as a teacher. When you're a teacher, you give homework, and then if people don't do their homework, then you uh, give them a pop quiz, and if they don't get the pop quiz right, then you give them a lower grade, then you give them homework again, and then you flunk them, okay? And so, but as a pastor, a pastor's heart, and you'll hear that as Norflet teaches here in a minute, a pastor's heart is to nourish, to encourage, to walk people through the learning process so that they can become uh, who God's called them to be. So you guys are really honored to have Norflet. Clap for him one more time, please. I want to share with you just a little bit about what I call the power of musical worship, because what we are doing here, um, uh, what we just finished doing, that was musical worship, but actually all of life can be an act of worship. Uh, I grew up worshiping in a Methodist church. Any Methodists in the house with me today? Our former Methodists, yes. You know, as Methodists, we had a method in which we did church, and our method was we would walk in, well, the choir would walk in, we kind of walk in like this to a song. And the, you know, the band we'd be playing or the piano, you know. And so that would take about seven or eight minutes, you know. That's a lot of time wasted. We could have just walked up there, right? So after we did that, you know, then uh, I think we sang an opening hymn, and then, you know, we sat down, and then someone welcomed, and then we stood up, and then we uh, had a responsive reading, and then we sat down, and then there was a, uh, I think, an opening prayer, and then we stood up, and we had a... Um, Look, praise God from whom all y'all heard that before, right? And then we sat down, right? And then after we sat down, there was a pastoral prayer, which was a very, very, very long prayer, right? And if you could make it through that, through the pastoral prayer, we'd do one more song. I think we probably had a, you know, we had an offering and then one song, and then the preacher would preach for another long time. And in my church growing up, you could actually hear people shaking their keys if he started going too long. It was amazing. <laughs> Because we had to get home to watch the New Orleans Saints lose yet another game, okay? So I grew up in Lafayette, Louisiana, and we all loved the Saints, and they were losing. So that was our method, and that's really called a liturgy. It's what you do. It's the steps you take when you go to worship. And we have a liturgy here at Grace as well, right? How many of you walked in and someone from the greeting team, what's that, what they really call? First impression. How many of you, someone said hi to you from first impressions? Yes, that's part of our liturgy. That's on purpose. Some of us were outside praying 30 minutes before the service, and then you walk in, and there's a ramp going on. It was a really short ramp. It's like three steps today. So you got the ramp, and then after the ramp, someone comes out and goes, hi, welcome to Grace. We're going to have a great time, and we're going to lift our hands and lift our voices and praise the Lord. And if you don't want to do that, you need to go home now. No, we don't say that. Um, but sometimes we want to. And so um, <laughs> we do that, and then we sing a few songs. 
And then after that, um, we have offering. And then, so that is a liturgy. And you can do things in worship just because it's liturgy rather than doing it because you understand it biblically. And the power is when you understand something in the Bible for yourself, it's your own. And it's not just contained into these four walls. God wants you to be a worshiper, not only in here, but all throughout life. It's like Eric Little in the movie Chariots of Fire. How many of you remember that movie? Right? Some of you did. And in that movie, Eric Little is running in the 1924 Olympics, and uh, his family has a, uh, a, a mission work in China. And there's this one scene when he and his sister are walking in the countryside of, of Great Britain, and it's almost like he snaps. So she's giving him a hard time because he's spending all this time, you know, training for the Olympics. And he says, Jenny, God made me for China. I'm going to go and do the mission work. But he said, but God also made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. What he was saying was, I'm also worshiping when I'm running. I can worship as an athlete to the glory of God. And not just point your hand when you get in the end zone, like, hey, and then live however you want to the rest of the week. But actually live and do your sport and be a teammate for the glory of God, right? And so, he was actually, I believe he was explaining what it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, in the NIV 1984 edition. It says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And I'm very strategic in how I wrote those notes. I said, all of life can be an act of worship. We have that possibility as believers. We don't always take that opportunity. I don't always take that opportunity to worship. But I can actually give God glory in whatever I'm doing. So whether you eat or drink, okay, we got that. That's two things we do. And then Paul says, or in case I left anything else, whatever you do. Eating or drinking or, by the way, anything else you're doing. Do that all to the glory of God. So all of life can and as Christians should become an act of worship. What we're going to talk about a little bit today is the power of musical worship because we spend time, we get, we get dressed up, we shower, and we drive in the snow, and we walk into a building like this, and you got a team up here singing, and we take, I don't know, anywhere from 15 to 30 minutes, depending on the service, doing this thing called musical worship. And I don't know about you, but I figure if I'm going to get out of bed, go somewhere, and sit in a building to do something, I might as well get the most out of it that is possible. And I've met, as you all are clapping, thank you, I've met a bunch of you all. You are people who live with purpose. And so I want to challenge you, just like when you're going to go to work tomorrow, you're going to have some goals and you're going to have some targets and you're going to work to hit those. Let's see if we can get everything that God wants us to have out of this concept of musical worship. If you go to the next slide, I love looking at these words. I'm an educator, and so I love etymology, the etymology of words. If you look at the root words of, both, of all four of these words, praise and appraisal, worthy and worship. So, you know, what an appraisal is, girls, uh, ladies, if, if, he, if he gives you a ring, you need to take it to somebody and say, what is this thing really worth? I mean, did the boy go to Jared's or what? I mean, so that's an appraisal. If, you wanna, if you're getting ready to sell your house, you have someone come and look and they appraise your house. They tell you what it's really worth. They find out if there are any cracks in the foundation, right? When you worship him, you're telling him what he's worth to you. You know, just think back to the few moments ago we were, we were worshiping. And if someone would have looked at you while you were worshiping just then, what would they have thought that his value was to you? 
Now, granted, I understand we don't worship for other people, but the reality is people are always watching us. They're going to be watching you at work tomorrow. They're watching you here. And so when you worship because he's worthy, you are telling yourself and you're telling others of his value in your life. We're going to look at the uh, power of musical worship. And I'm going to share with you two things, but if you go to the next slide, uh, when I teach this subject, there are about five different things that I like to talk about. The power of understanding, the power of sound, the power of atmosphere, the power of unity, and the power of expectation. And there's so many scriptures um, that the, the word tells us, or teaches us on all of these subjects. But today I want to try, I'm definitely going to get through the power of understanding and I'm going to see if I can make it to the power of sound. I didn't in the first service, but we're going to try. Do you think I can do it? Okay, good. You have a lot of faith. All right. So number one on the power of understanding, lack of understanding does not negate truth. Lack of understanding does not negate truth. And if you're taking notes, and I would highly recommend you to take notes, I want to, I want to ask you to write that down so that you can remember it. Now, Doug reminded me, I, I, was, I was really tough on the first, on the first uh, congregation. And I said to them, I actually read to them from Cox Educational Opportunities, uh, this list of, of uh, when they study what you learn and what you retain when you hear something. But my iPad died. So maybe that's the Lord saying, Kevin, don't be so tough on him, but I'm going to go from memory. You remember 10% of what you see, 20% of what you hear, all right? Then he goes on, he goes 30% of what you something else, 70% of what you write down, and 90% of what you write down, say, and do. So I already know that if you're not taking notes, not only from me, but anyone who's speaking, and unless you're like Ravi Zacharias and you have a photographic memory, because some of you might have that, right? That's, that's a possibility. And unless you're going to go and buy the CD, if you're just sitting listening, you need to understand that the studies say you're going to forget 80% of what I say or 80% of what any pastor says because you're not that engaged according to that study. Now, listen to this. If I called you tomorrow at your office and said, hey, I got a $10 million deal for you. But here's what I need you to remember. I'm going to give you an address, a social security number, right, and three 11-digit figures. Are you ready? And I said, it's worth $10 million to you. And all you got to do is write these things down and remember, and I'll call you back later. Would you go, okay, I'm ready. Shoot. You'd be calling secretaries in, everybody. You'd be borrowing people. Everybody write, listen closely, write it down. Get every single number down right for $10 million. How much more valuable is the word of God? Ooh, little golf clap over here. Some people over here going, I don't know. All right. Golf clap is fine. That's, that's all right. That's better than no clap. That's better than throwing stuff at me. So lack of understanding does not negate truth. I don't really understand what's happening when I grab my remote control and I point at my TV and I press 728. That's what it is in New York City. 728. When I hit 728, ESPN comes on. 729, ESPN 2. 465, that's the tennis channel. My wife is sitting next to me. She's talking to me. I'm acting like I'm listening, but I'm really <laughs> right there. Now, there's a truth that's going on in the technological world of what's happening from this remote that's going to the television, and I don't understand it. But lack of understanding doesn't negate truth. People take off in space shuttles and all kinds of spaceships all the time. The space travel is true, even if you don't understand it. The point I'm trying to make is, if there is a truth of musical worship or any aspect of my faith, I want to find out what it is because I want to apply that truth to my life and my walk with Jesus. Just because I don't understand something is not true doesn't mean it's not true. If it's true and I don't understand it, I'm missing out. 
Is there any part of your faith you want to miss out on? No. So you want to understand that. It says in Psalm 28, verse 2, it's a truth that's in the word. And most of the Psalms are written by David, who's the only person that God said, this is a man after my own heart. He says, hear my cry for mercy as I call to you for help, as I lift up my hands towards your most holy place. So maybe you're a visitor, you're here for the first time, and while we were singing, you saw people doing this. You go, wow, they're emotional. I go, wow, they must really like music. That's why, they, you know, like at concerts, people go, hey, ho, you lift your hands, right? But there's actually a biblical reason for lifting your hands, right? And so people are actually being biblical out of the, the truth of their relationship and understanding what the word says about their relationship with Christ. So they're lifting their hands as an act of worship. Maybe they're saying what he said here. Hear my cry for mercy as I call to you for help. Anybody ever needed help from God? Yeah. So there are people who walked in here today. You don't know what they brought in the door, but they're lifting their hands because they're going, God, if you don't help me now, I don't know if I'm going to make it. The Bible also talks about us lifting our hands in victory. And we even do it just not even biblically. I mean, when the Detroit Lions win a game, people be like, hey, right? Victory. Why y'all laughing? They win games sometimes. Stop it. People, they lift their hands in victory. No one says, hey, we won a game. We, we scored a touchdown. Wow, that's amazing. That was phenomenal. Nobody goes reverse in their emotions. They go, yeah. And no one has to teach you that. Ever see a kid in the store and they want something from their mom? They need help. And they're short. And their mom's up there and they go, mommy, 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 mommy. Mom. Will you slap your kid? It's mommy, mommy. They, they, they reach out and reach up as fervently as they need to be until they get their attention. Do they not? You know, when they're doing that, when they're going, mommy, mommy. I wonder what that other three-year-old thinks about me. Maybe I shouldn't be so emotional. No, they don't do that. They don't go, oh, mommy, oh, I don't know if my, uh, if my, uh, my culture is, has a bent towards being that emotional. They don't do that. They reach until they get what they want because there's something about lifting your hands. The Bible talks about shouting. The Bible talks about clapping your hands to the Lord. The Bible talks about singing. As a matter of fact, in Psalm 33:1, I believe it's the next one, it saith, sing to the Lord. Watch this. Sing joyfully to the Lord. Not just sing. Sing joyfully to the Lord. You righteous. That's us. We're righteous because of what Jesus did, not because of what we did. It is fitting. You know, like that good pair of jeans that just fits. It's the right thing. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. So when we sing, when we lift our hands, when we clap, we're actually being biblical. It's a biblical response to our God. How am I doing on time? I think I made it. I think I can tell you the next part. Where's my, where's my clock? How am I doing, Doug? 14 minutes and 40 seconds. No, ran out of time. I will tell you this. Just to solidify this point, just because lack of understanding does not negate truth. How many of you ever heard of a lady named Heidi Baker and her ministry? Heidi Baker, I'm looking. Okay, maybe three or four people. Now, this is true. You don't know about it, but it's true. And my point is, is there, are there things in the Word that are true that you don't know about yet that you need to dig to find out so that you don't miss out on the truth of that? Does that make sense? Heidi Baker went to Mozambique, I think, 10 or 12 years ago, she and her husband, and they wanted to reach this very unreached people group. There were actually a lot of cannibals that they were reaching out to, and, and they, would, they would drive these flatbed trucks into the jungles of Mozambique, and they're apologetic. And apologetic means to make a defense, okay? So their defense for the gospel was to get up on a bed, a flatbed truck, and to begin to worship Jesus. 
They didn't preach at the time when they first started. They didn't know the language. They began to worship. And as they began to worship, people who had come to hear them who were deaf could then hear. People who had come who were blind began to see. Now, they didn't know anyone. You might be able to fake it on television, right? You can plant someone in the crowd. But when you're going and talking to cannibals in their hood, you better have the real deal. And what would happen is, is when people would get healed, they would bring them forward, and the people in the, in the neighborhood would say, oh, yeah, that boy used to be deaf, but he can hear now. Oh, yeah, that woman couldn't see, but now she can see. So we want to follow the God of y'all. And they have done this about 10,000 times. They've planted about 10,000 churches in the, last, in the last 10 years. Now, they only count a church 25 to 35 people in a village. That's still kind of amazing. You know what the United Nations did when they found out about that? They came to them and they said, is there anything we can do to help you? And they said, yeah, it would be great if we could get about seven helicopters. So the United Nations went to this ministry, gave them seven helicopters to help them reach the people in that nation. See, a lot of things are happening around the world. And we're doing great things here at Grace. All you have to do is walk that way a few feet. And you hit a counseling center, and then you walk a few more. Well, actually, you hit the, the new medical center that's coming in. And then you walk a few more feet, and you hit the counseling center. Then if you drive down that way, you know, in the summertime, you see kids hitting baseballs. And there are amazing things that are happening. My challenge to you today is what does God's Word say about the power of musical worship? And how do you apply it in your life personally at home? How do you apply it in your life? How do we apply it as a congregation so that we get the most out of what God has for us. You know, we have a lot of fun up here as a team, and I'm going to show you a video uh, about serving. And some of you are worshiping from that way, looking at me, but some of you need to be up here worshiping this way because God has called you and he has gifted you and given you the ability to sing or play. Or maybe you like all these lights that are here, all these screens. This stuff doesn't happen by accident. People come here and they serve. And so maybe you have an ability uh, in the technical area. If, if that is you, Karen, I didn't tell you this, where are you? Uh, after service, we're going to come down right here, over here on this side. If you're interested in being involved, you can come down here, and we're going to have some kind of a sign-up sheet, and then we'll stalk you until we get you on our team. Watch this video.